Morning. Great is God's faithfulness. All that we have needed to gather together as God's people today, God's hands have provided. Amen? Listening, it has been said, is a sign of wisdom. Because when you listen, you're showing that you want to learn and to know and to grow. Listening to the right person is also a sign of wisdom. That's why as parents, we are careful about what our kids watch, about what they read, and about what they learn. We want these resources that we provide them to give them wisdom and understanding that they may be able to make wise decisions in life. That's why, as parents, we also share our experiences with them. We want them to learn from our mistakes. That's what wise parents do. They offer wisdom to their children. The Bible is full of wisdom. And there are some books that are uniquely filled with wisdom. We call them wisdom literature, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. When you come to the book of Psalms, you will find wisdom psalms. And Psalm 32 is a wisdom psalm. Now, why do we call that a wisdom psalm? Because whatever is written in Psalm 32 comes from experience. And David tells us, this is what you should do, and this is what you shouldn't do. From David's experience in Psalm 32, he presents two ways to deal with sin. You can either be wise, or you can be foolish. The foolish are those who cover their sin, hide their sin. The wise are those who confess their sin. The foolish will suffer sorrow because, because they cover sin, like some of us are this morning. The wise are those who will experience joy because they've confessed sin. So this is a wisdom psalm offering us two ways. One way to choose either wisdom or foolishness. Let's go to the psalm and see what David has to tell us. I would like to divide the psalm into three. In the first two verses, David talks about happiness and forgiveness, or happiness from forgiveness. Verses one and two. Three to five, David talks about covering and confession. He had covered his sins, and then he confessed his sins. And then he offers wisdom and instruction, verses 6 to 11. That's where the instruction comes in. But let's look at the first two verses where David talks about happiness from forgiveness. That word, blessed, the first word in the psalm, means happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, what does forgiveness mean? Poetry has a unique way of putting things across. 
Sometimes the second line explains the first line. So if you look carefully at verses 1 and 2, you will see how the psalmist defines what forgiveness is. The word forgiveness in line 1 is replaced with the word covered in line 2. So what is forgiveness? It's a covering of sin. When something is hidden, it cannot be seen by our eyes. Covering keeps something out of sight. It's as though such a thing does not exist. And so when God covers sin, he takes it out of his sight. No longer does it stay between God and us, and therefore we can approach God without shame or fear. Forgiveness thus removes the sin between God and us. Now, what David says next will expand our understanding of forgiveness. So, look carefully at verse 2 and the first line. This is, Blessed is the one whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That is an accounting word. And that means the Lord does not write down and keep record of our iniquities like some of us do. He does not have a folder titled Sins of Benoit in his MacBook Pro and open to remind me my past sins and my present sins. In fact, he does not have a folder like that. That's what forgiveness does. It erases sin from the relationship. And this kind of forgiveness produces happiness, blessedness. But such kind of happiness makes sense only if we understand what is being forgiven. What exactly is being covered? I want us to look at verses 1 and 2 again. You will see that David uses three words, transgression, sin, and iniquity. Each of these words explain and expand our understanding of our own corruption. Let me start with the word sin. Sin is a failure to meet the standard of God. It isn't as though we have been trying to meet the standard and somehow we have missed meeting God's standard. It's intentionally choosing not to meet God's standard. It's an intentional choice. You know you should love your wife, but you choose to abuse her. You know you should gladly submit to your husband, but you choose to... You know you shouldn't steal, but you choose to steal. You know you shouldn't lie, but you choose to lie. That's sin. And it's emphasized by the word transgression, which is an open rebellion against God. And, and there's a reason why David used that word here. David, in other words, is saying, I went into sin fully knowing what I was doing was against God. Which means it wasn't an accident. It wasn't. You know the truth, but you disregard it totally. You know that going to these massage parlors for your own pleasure, 
offends God, but you still choose to do it. I've seen people take these massage parlor cards and put them in the wallet as though they were visiting cards. (laughs) You know that watching these videos secretly, whether it's through WhatsApp, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, you know that these videos are a rejection of God's will for you. Children, you know that God wants you to obey your parents in the Lord. You know that. But when you choose to disobey, it is a willful rejection of God. That is rebellion. And therefore, we are guilty before God. We are guilty because we have rejected God willfully. It isn't an accident. It is a willful choice to reject God. But the good news in this verse is that God covers our rebellion. Never to see it, never to bring it up, never to accuse us again. And therefore, there is happiness. There's this huge relief. There is great joy. God removes sin and he makes things right. No no more shame, no more guilt. Happily relieved is the one whose rebellion is erased, whose sin is removed, and against whom the Lord does not count iniquity, and whom the Lord will not keep accusing. Maybe you are sitting here wondering if God will ever forgive you. I don't know what sin you have committed, but you're sitting here with fear, scared of God's judgment. And here's the good news of verses 1 and 2. God is willing to forgive the vilest offender, the worst sinner, the liar, the thief, the narcissist, the lustful, the greedy, the bitter at heart. His forgiveness means that all our sins will be removed and no iniquity will be charged against us. Our sins will be covered because God covered his son with our sins and he put him to death on the cross. So that through faith in Jesus, the perfect substitute, God can no longer charge us guilty. That's what the songwriter says. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. That's relief. That's joy. There is no sin that God cannot cover. Well, then the question is, how do we embrace, how do we receive this happiness? And so we come to point two in verses three to five, where we see covering and confession happening in the life of David. This is the context of the psalm. This is what happened in the past for David to write to us, what actually happened. 
So in verse 4, you will see that David chose to keep silent about his sin. He says, for when I was silent, when I kept silent, meaning he covered his sin. That means he chose to do nothing about it. He chose to let sin remain there in his heart. He did not want to deal with it. And to bring it out to the open, he hid his sin. Like some of us are doing right now. But you see, covering sin had a crushing effect on David. Listen to how he explains the impact of covering sin in verses 3 and 4. God's hand was heavy on David, so much so that he grew weak. He felt like how some of us feel when we are exposed to the heat of summer here in Dubai. Drained, exhausted, tired, without energy. But it included pain here in the psalm. David had physical pain, and so he groaned throughout the day. Now, it could be that the Lord disciplined David. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He loved David too much to let sin remain in him. So, David, if you can't be uncomfortable with sin, then God will make you uncomfortable with sin. It could also be that God let him feel the weight of sin with its guilt. Have you ever felt that? The weight of guilt of our sins? Some of us have been there. I have been there. Some of us are there right now. You feel sick. Guilt, it is, is just eating you up. It is killing your sleep. You are sick of being a hypocrite. You can't talk. You can't eat. You don't know what to do. You don't even know what you're feeling. And you feel helpless. That's the feeling that guilt of hidden sin brings. It exhausts us. And sometimes, when we hide our sin, God lets us feel the weight of hidden sin. It's a sick feeling. And if you're feeling it right now, that's a good thing. I have been praying that the Lord would do just that if you're covering your sin now. But then we're tempted to ask, why do we cover sin? Why do we hide sin? Why are we sin hiders or sin coverers? I think one of the reasons why we cover sin is because we minimize the power of sin. But we tend to think that sin won't have any impact on us. And so just a little bit of porn, a 10-second clip, or maybe a 7-second clip, just a little bit of sexting, just a little bit of anger at home, a little bit of abuse, a little amount of money stolen, We minimize the power of sin. I think another reason we hide sin is because we feel self-sufficient. We think we can handle sin on our own. You know, I'm too strong for sin to affect me. We think we can handle sin. 
I think it's also true that one, another reason we hide sin is because we fear the consequences of exposing sin, of confessing sin. We fear the rejection of people, friends, my family, my wife, my kids. We fear shame. And so we become comfortable with hypocrisy. Isn't that the definition of a hypocrite? A hypocrite is one who hides sin. A hypocrite lives in the fear of being known. He is more concerned about what man thinks of him more than what God thinks of him. And that brings us to the most important reason why we hide sin. We hide sin because we don't fear God. We don't fear God's judgment. We don't care about God's stand on sin. And so we hide sin because we have a wrong view of God. It's possible, it's possible that some of us seated here right now are hiding sin. It may be that your marriage is a mess and you have been pretending like everything is okay. Every, every picture on Facebook and Instagram says, this is the perfect couple. You want others to think you are the perfect couple. Hiding sin will hurt you and if you have children, your children and your marriage. Or it may be that when others ask you about how you have been doing, you have trained yourself to give godly answers. You know you're struggling with sin, but you want to gain face, so you answer like, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Or it may be that you are sick about the fact that you have sinned and you continue to sin, and you are now pretending. You are lying to others. You don't know what to do. You are perhaps feeling the heavy hand of God over you now. Or maybe you're bitter. Or you're angry. And you don't want anyone to know the true condition of your rotting heart. You feel the guilt, but you don't want to deal with the mess David says in verse 5, don't cover your sin, confess it to God. And that's what he did. In the way to experience the joy or the relief or happiness that you see in verses 1 and 2 is to come before God and to acknowledge and confess that we have messed up. But what exactly is confession? David tells us that confession involves an owning of sin in verse 4. So you, you, do you see those expressions? My sin, my transgression, the iniquity of my sin. It means that David was willing to say that he has done these things willingly. Owning exposes the condition of our hearts. Confession involves owning our sins. I think David also tells us that confession is marked by honesty. So in verse 2, in the second line, he says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. It is saying that you have strayed from God in specific ways. 
It is saying that this is how and where I messed up. It is saying that I have been lying to you all these weeks by... I have been seeking my own satisfaction by... I have been pretending by... I have been twisting the truth by... I have been seeking things secretly by... Real confession is transparent. Before you're caught. But confession also involves a right understanding of sin. So in verse 5, David says that he acknowledged his sin to the Lord. Two times he says, to the Lord. Honest confession is directed first toward God because all sin is an offense against God first. You recognize that your sin was a rejection of God first. You and I have placed ourselves above God. Well, why should you confess sin? Well, verse 5 says, because God forgives sin. God forgives sin. That last line there of verse 5 is one of the most comforting verses in all of Bible. We don't have to hide sin from God. Come with your sin, your brokenness, the pain that you have been covering. Come out of darkness. Stop believing lies and submit to God. Confess your sins to God. God will take away. He will lift up. He will erase and cover sin the sin that you and I committed, and make us right with him. When we cover sin, we are enslaved to sin. When God covers sin, there is forgiveness of sin. Oh, the sheer delight in the sinner when he knows that God takes away the guilt and shame that sin brings. There is happiness because God covers. God, the Holy One, the Compassionate One, the Just God, the Righteous God, covers our sins. Every single sin. God does not reject a broken and contrite spirit. Instead, he revives the heart of the one who is broken about Sin. So, brothers and sisters, if you are struggling this morning with guilt, even though you have confessed, and that's possible, some of us struggle with guilt and we tend to keep condemning ourselves. We are listening to the lies of the devil. He tells us that our confession isn't enough, the cross is insufficient, Jesus is a weak Savior. I want to encourage you. From the first five verses of this psalm, it tells us that when we confess our sin, God does not take time to forgive us. When we confess our sins before God with brokenness, God immediately forgives our sins. 
And so the next time Satan, your enemy and God's enemy, comes to you and tries to instill guilt in you by telling you that your Savior is weak and therefore your sins cannot be forgiven, and so you have to self-atone for your sins, look at him and tell him. Look at guilt in the eye and tell guilt grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. If you are hiding your sin, you are forfeiting true happiness for sin. Sin will kill joy. God will give joy. And David closes the psalm with wisdom in verses 6 to 11. This is wisdom from the forgiven. And I think God wants us to pay attention to this because God wanted David to write this and it is in his word for our instruction. There are three instructions that he gives us in verses 6 to 11. One, in verses 6 and 7, David says, turn quickly. Turn quickly. Because God is a forgiving God, let the one who knows God turn to him quickly. Please don't wait. If you're conscious of your sin now, if you are that person, please turn now. If you've been crushed under the guilt of hidden sin and it's eating you up now, turn now. Don't wait, please. And, and this is not a threat. This is an invitation to come to God just as you are, broken, weak, helpless, because God is a compassionate God, willing to forgive, abounding in grace. And your turning to God is not just for God to forgive your sin, as important as that is. We need forgiveness, so we turn to God, but our turning to God is also a confession that you and I cannot save ourselves from sin, and therefore we plead with God, asking Him to save us from the destructive power of sin in us now. So it isn't me telling God, forgive me. It is me saying, God, have mercy on me, but also telling God, you've got to save me from the destructive power of sin that is in me. I am too weak for this sin. And I think that's what he says in the latter part of verse 6. When you turn to the Lord, you save yourselves from the troubles that sin brings. Well, how do you know? Because in verse 7, he says, God, you are my hiding place. David praises God because God is his hiding place. That's the place you choose to hide to save yourself from the attacks of the enemy. There, you are safe. There, you find shelter. 
You are not safe when you are hiding sin. You are safe when God is your hiding place. When your flesh feels weak, when your flesh is weak, and your heart may fail, there is one place of refuge. There's only one place of refuge. There is a hiding place. There is a shelter, and that shelter is a person. Turn quickly. When you want to sin, when you feel weak before sin, when there is this rush of temptations coming your way, and everything in you wants to give in, you have a hiding place. That hiding place is a person. You have a place of refuge. That place is a person. And that person, God, is able to protect you. Run to him quickly. Don't hang around sin. Turn quickly. I think the second instruction that David gives is in verses 8 to 9. He says, don't be stubborn. Now, there's a slight confusion about who the I is in verse 8. Well, some think it is God. Some think it is David. Whether it is David speaking or it is God speaking, the instruction is clear in verse 9. Don't be foolish. Don't be like the mule or the horse that lacks understanding. Well, how do you know they lack understanding? Well, you, you have to control them and force them with things so that they will walk near you. You have to force them to do that. And that's how you know they lack understanding. They're stubborn. They offer resistance. David was stubborn when he chose to hide sin. And God had to allow David to be crushed under the weight of his guilt for David to draw near to God. Yes, yes, God produced good in David, but David's wisdom for us is that we don't have to choose that path. When you choose to hide sin, you're being stubborn because you're resisting confession. You're resisting an exposure of sin. When you choose to delay confession, you're being stubborn. We're just resisting what God wants us to do. When we choose to sin, we are being stubborn because sin by nature is a rejection of God. And if you give sin the freedom to remain in your heart, sin will harden your heart toward God. Don't be stubborn. Please. Turn quickly. I've learned through my marriage and um, through a few years of pastoring here in this church that the more you delay your confession, the more harder your heart gets. And the more harder your heart gets, the more harder it is going to be to confess. 
Don't be stubborn. Turn now. And David ends the psalm with the promise. In verses 10 and 11, there is good news and then there is the bad news. Let me start with the bad news. The bad news is for the wicked. It says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Who are the wicked? The wicked are contrasted with those who trust in the Lord. Therefore, the wicked are those who do not trust in the Lord. I also think the wicked in this psalm are those whose stand on sin is different from that of God. The wicked are people who are comfortable with sin and evil. They find sin to be more attractive and glorious than God himself. God is not as good as sin. There is no fear of God in their hearts. And yet, even though they are these kind of people, what disturbs us is that these wicked people tend to prosper. They are almost never in trouble. They, they get away with injustice, and no one can do anything about it. And that disturbs us. It, disturbs, it disturbed Asaph in Psalm 73. But David here says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Well, let me tell you where that sorrow begins. The wicked do not know God. Hang on. They do not know God, neither does God know them. God is far from them, and that is their greatest misery. They may have health and wealth, but no God. (laughs) Again, the wicked are people who really do not know how to deal with evil that they commit. Do you know what the evil do? All they know is to cover evil and justify evil. Isn't that a miserable state too? They really do not know what to do with evil. They just cover it. That's misery. But it is even multiplied because they stand against the curse of a holy, righteous God. And therefore in the world to come, they will live with eternal sorrow. Their sorrow will have no end, Romans 2 and verse 9. God's fury will be unleashed, and there will be everlasting sorrow upon every wicked man. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But there is hope for the wicked person. And his hope, and his hope is not in his work, but in the work of Jesus. So in Romans 4, Paul quotes the first two verses of this psalm. And the reason he quoted these two verses is to explain that no work of ours can save us from the judgment that we rightly deserved. In Romans 3, he has just said that all have sinned against God and have fallen short of God's standard. And therefore, everyone deserves judgment. Everyone. of us because we've all fallen short but instead of condemning us God judged his son Jesus so that those who put their faith in Jesus will be freely made right with God that's grace God will cover the sin of the wicked if he turns to Jesus in faith the God of the Bible is the God who justifies the ungodly when they look to Jesus. Because God covers our sin, we can be made right with God. Blessed 
are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will not count against them. Well, the psalm ends with good news for those who know God. It is the steadfast love of the Lord, my favorite word. The steadfast love of the Lord surrounds those who trust in the Lord. You see, the steadfast love is a particular quality of God's love, reserved for his children. God is not going to sit by and watch us fight for the welfare of our souls on our own. He shows his strength by fighting for us. So in Psalm 17, the psalmist can actually say, show me the wonders of your steadfast love. Steadfast love does wonders. He personally gets involved in our struggles, attends to our needs, and fights for us to rescue us and keep us. It is steadfast, and this is how he loves those who are his. It is intimate, and will always fight for the good of our souls. So listen to the hope of David in Psalm 59. Oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, my God, are my strength. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. He will let me look in triumph on my enemies. The way David fought his battles is by trusting the steadfast love of the Lord. Steadfast love will supply strength and protection and hope and victory. This is what it does. So when you look to the future, like two minutes from now, seven minutes from now, three hours from now, this evening when you're in the mall, tomorrow when you're at home, day after when you're traveling, and you're not sure how you will fight your battles for faith in the Lord, and you are struggling now, and you hate the constant battle with lust and greed and covetousness and anger and lies and slander and every evil desire and impurity and lack of self-control, and you are tempted to give in. Remember who loves you and how he loves you. God is your Savior, and He's a faithful God. And in His steadfast love, He will come to us and help us. Therefore, verse 11, you can rejoice in the Lord. You can celebrate. You can be glad and shout for joy because God, the faithful one, your Savior, your rock, your refuge, your fortress, your stronghold, your deliverer, promises to surround and overwhelm us with his steadfast love. Friends, when we cover sin, there is sorrow. When God covers sin, there is joy. When you choose sin over God, there will be eternal sorrow. So submit to Jesus. And when you trust in the Lord, his faithful love will surround you. So rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this psalm and the wisdom that this psalm gives us. And God, we pray that even as we have heard this psalm, you, O Holy Spirit, would take these words and plant them in our hearts and water them. Keep watering them, O God. May it produce the fruit of righteousness and repentance. May we increase, may you increase our trust in the steadfast love of the Lord and bring us joy. For those of us who are, who are covering sin, oh God, move us to confess sin. For those of us who do not know Jesus, move us to submit to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.